mythology and folklore all over the world we're your hosts i'm lizzie and i'm zoe lizzie what are you up to these days <laughs> i'm not doing that much although um i sent my visa application the other day that's yes actually it was yesterday yes. yeah i feel very anticlimactic because i just sent it by mail mm-hmm. so i just put it in the mailbox and that's just how that went mm-hmm. but yeah that's exciting that is exciting. Yeah. I mean, I hope it, I hope it works out. So do I. And if it doesn't, <laughs> that sucks and I'm going to regret saying Uh-oh. anything. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, how are you? I'm good. I did not sleep very well last night, which is less good, but I got my donkeys. And so... Oh, Dunkin' Donuts. Yes. <laughs> Classic. Classic. I'm a New Englander, Lizzie. You should know this. Exactly. You're also a New Englander. You know, they have Dunkin' Donuts here in the Netherlands, but they don't have hash browns, which is one of my favorite things at Dunkin' Donuts. That's really sad. So sad. Do they, is hash browns? They basically have donuts and like They drinks. don't have the sandwiches? I don't think so. Oh. I just never paid attention. They definitely don't have hash browns, so they looked into that. Do they have culottes? I'm not sure, actually. Oh. <laughs> wow. This is depressing. I know. But International they're franchising. Nice. They're kind of like upscale. <laughs> The ones that I saw. I mean, for a Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I wanted to get an avocado toast, but they were so busy because it was a Saturday morning that I felt guilty. They have avocado toast. (laughs) Ordering anything that wasn't like a donut and not like needed to be cooked. So I just ordered a donut and a drink. They have good donuts. What's your go-to donut? Oh, the strawberry frosted. Ah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's my go-to for sure. Um, if they don't have strawberry frosted, vanilla frosted. Nice. What about you? I'm not sure actually. I think last time I went, I went got like the Nutella filled one. Oh, that had, like fancy. Some sort of hazelnutty icing kind of thing going on. But I think I I really liked the strawberry ones when I was younger. I definitely ordered that one a lot. Yeah, that's always <laughs> been my go-to. Um, I just like I like uh, yeast donuts. You know, the fluffier ones, not the cakey ones. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I like the strawberry frosting, so I think it's good. I do also like when they're filled. I don't like filling as much. Fair. That's a hot take of mine. Yeah, it is a hot take. (laughs) When two New Englanders have a podcast. Anyways, this is a podcast about women in mythology. Um, So Lizzie- It is actually. It is. Um, Lizzie, who do you have for us today? So today we are talking about Aruello, the Somali queen. Ooh. The legendary Somali queen. Cool. Do you know her? No. Fair. <laughs> um, so she is a legendary queen from Somali folklore. Ooh. Um, according to Ahmed Artan Hanghe, who wrote folk tales from Somalia. Awesome. Somali folklore is unique in that most of the principal characters are women rather than men. And that this may be due to the theory that in earlier centuries, um, Somali family life was based on matriarchal lineage. That would make sense. Yeah, it's a theory. I don't think it's confirmed, Mm -hmm. but yeah. But yeah, it's really cool that it's focused on women, especially for our purposes. It is, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, and she is one of the most 
famous folktale characters in Somali folklore, and um, it's unclear if she existed or not. Um, as usual, we don't care about that. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that most stories view her as completely legendary, but there are some who think that she did exist, and I think that according to those people, she existed in like the first century CE. Mm-hmm. I saw the year 15 CE, but I, I don't know if that's confirmed, but I saw it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. But yeah. But as usual, we don't really care about that. Mm-hmm. So oral traditions indicate that Arawelo reigned in northeastern Somalia and the Nugal and Sunag regions. And she's also referred to as Arawelo, which is spelled with a C, but the, the sound at the front, it's like a, it's a pharyngeal fricative. Mm. And I'm saying that because I think that if you don't speak Arabic or Somali, that doesn't sound like anything to you. And it just sounded like nothing. Um, or as Marombe. And um, so the name... Wait, uh, sorry, where is the C in that in that word? It's at the front. Arawelo. Oh, okay. It's like a sound that also exists in Arabic. Is it sort of like a har, something like that? No? It's 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 actually further back. It's Oh, so it's pharynx. really it's really far back. Okay. It's like basically just above the vocal folds. But it's so it's like one of those really but like it's yeah, okay, cool. Anyways, I don't know yeah, I don't yeah. actually understand uh, morphology, but it's fine. That's that's phonology. <laughs> <laughs> We're just gonna move on from that. We're just gonna move on from that. Mm. Anyways. Um, anyway. <laughs> Anyways. So <laughs> You said Morombe? <laughs> yeah, Morombe. Mor- Morombe, yeah. yes, is another name. Anyway, but so the name Arawelo consists of Aro, which means earth or land, and uh, well, which means a vessel or container, and the feminine suffix o. Mm. So yeah, and so now we have a, a series of stories that really just go, they really all go together. But so this first part of the story is called Arawelo and the Castration of the Men. Well. That is a story title. Yeah. Her story is so interesting. I'm really excited to get your thoughts on it. Okay. So, Arawelo grew up a pretty and clever daughter and was soon married off to a suitor. However, she hated the work of a housewife and wanted to take part in the work of her husband and the rest of the men, sitting in councils and taking up arms and fighting in battle. Her husband told her it's strange that she thinks like a man and that her place is in the home, looking after the children and the livestock. She replied that a woman can do what a man does if she wants to. Mm -hmm. The men sitting in the council are old fools. Why not allow women to take their places? So true. Is what she said to him. Yeah. And so, but she, but he disagreed. He thought it was weird that she thought like that. But one day, Arawelo said to the women, stop all work in your homes for three days. Let the men do everything for themselves. This will keep them busy and they won't have time for anything else. We'll secretly seize all their weapons and then round up all the men in the land. And then we'll rule the land instead of the men. Wow. Yeah. So the women listened to her. And with the men occupied, Arawelo seized power and became ruler of the land. After she became ruler, she ordered for all the men to be castrated. (laughs) She did this because she was afraid that the men would overthrow her and reclaim their authority. Wow. And all the men who resisted castration were put to death. Interesting. This is quite Thoughts a story. So far? Isn't it? You know what? You know what? Is that like, I think it's kind of a dumb idea to castrate literally every it man. It is not the best idea because then you can't have because children. Because you can't have, 
Exactly. You can't have the next generation and your society will die. Yeah. Like, it's a, not a good idea. Yeah. It's sort of, I mean, this is just my very first impression. So we're going to, like, just keep, I'll keep listening. It does kind of sound a bit like, you know, a men's, like, a misogynist worst nightmare of, like, what would happen if women yeah, take over. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like... No, literally. It's like, you know, the women will take over and then they're going to castrate all the men. And it's like... Exactly. Yeah, that sounds... It's like, if women get any power, we we will all be castrated. Yeah, like, like that sounds... It, it kind of sounds like, you know, a, a person who's like, well, we can't give women like power. Like a misogynist's fantasy. Yeah. Because we give women power, they'll take away our power, and then suddenly we'll all get castrated. And then, like, what will we do? You know, it's it's one of exactly. those things. So that's my first impression. Um, it's also really, her method of taking power is also really interesting because it's like. I agree. I think it's awesome that she organized all the women in her community yeah, to just it's like, like a, take action. A concept of like a labor strike, and also like a concept of specifically like a women's labor strike. Yeah, and like a yeah, household exactly. labor strike, which is a very interesting concept that I have heard about, like people talk about before. Yeah, which is really cool, and yeah, it's very interesting. It also does sound like she's in a patriarchal society, or maybe this is how the society becomes matriarchal. I don't know. Um, you know, this is a patriarchal society. Yes. The, the the theory of the matriarchy, I think it's not very focused. Okay. Like, it's not necessarily like, oh, here's when it was a matriarchy. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's just like... Yeah, I mean, this is very much like a patriarchal society. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so this next chapter of the saga is mm-hmm. called Aruelo and Odaibige, who's... Okay, so there was a wise old man called Odaibige, and his name means cowardly old man. Odai means old man, bige means cowardly. Interesting. And uh, he lived in the forest to hide himself from Aruelo. Aruelo said to her eunuchs, there is an uncastrated man somewhere in in this land who was disobedient to me. Go look for him and bring him to me. They looked all over and eventually found him in the forest. It's Odaibige, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so... When they came to take him away, he said to them, Take me not to the wicked tyrant woman. She'll be asking you difficult riddles, which you'll not be able to answer. You'll need my advice and guidance someday. And so the eunuch soldiers thought this was reasonable and let him live. Hmm. They went back to Aruelo and said that they couldn't find the uncastrated man. And Aruelo was angry and called them liars and told them to get out of her sight. Wow. And that's that section, really. Oh, interesting. I find it so interesting that, like, the castration is associated with, like, men losing their intelligence. I guess so, yeah. Like, the only intelligent man is the the one uncastrated man. Yeah. I also think it's interesting that now there's a resistance forming against her. Yeah. Being led by the one uncastrated man. Right? (laughs) That's interesting. Um, Yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, she's using them as soldiers, too, instead of, like, the woman. Yeah. See, that's something that I kind of thought was an inconsistency in the story, because at some point later it says something about, like, oh, her women soldiers, blah, blah, blah. But then it also said, like, her her eunuch soldiers at some other points. And I'm like, what are the women doing? Maybe there's just, like, different levels of soldiers, you know, like, maybe. maybe It's really not clear. The men are, like, the you know foot soldiers that you just send off to do whatever, like the dirty work maybe maybe yeah yeah it's not like super clear what she has women doing mm-hmm. to be honest but more on that a little bit later not that much more <laughs> okay <laughs> so this next chapter is called an arch as tall as the rainbow Aruela won a great battle and wished to commemorate the event 
She said to her counselors that she wanted them to build an arch as tall as a rainbow to commemorate her victory. Obviously, this was impossible, but they did not want to disobey Arawelo's orders. They visited Odai Bige in the forest and asked him what to do. Mm. And he said to them, I told you that you'd need me someday. Now go to the foolish tyrant woman and tell her this. Give us the measurement of the rainbow and we'll build you an arch as tall as the rainbow. And so when they asked her this, she wondered to herself, strange, who said no uncastrated men live in my land? So she's like, only an uncastrated man could come up with that's, that plan. Yeah, you know? that's, that's interesting. I mean, it's going back to what you said about, you know, castration and intelligence, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, so from that day on, they always went to Odai Vige for wisdom and guidance. They built him a hut in the forest and brought him food and clothing. When Arawella wished to move to a new place, they secretly brought Odai Bige along with them. They had him ride on a gumis, which is the firstborn male camel, meant to have great strength and endurance. Mm-hmm. And so they covered him with a camel hide canopy to conceal him. Mm. Since the gumis was an exceptionally strong animal, it didn't groan or fall to its knees like the other camels. When the other camels sat down to rest, Arawello inspected their loads but did not find Odaibige because she didn't think to inspect the gumis who browsed around instead of resting. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, she at this point is still like, I think they lied to me. And she's like, mm-hmm. off to figure out the truth for mm-hmm. herself. So she's still suspicious that there is an uncastrated man living in the land. Mm-hmm. And she called the people in a big meeting and said to them, I want you to bring me an animal skin with fur on both sides of it. Mm. I know that there are intelligent people among you and that you can solve this problem easily. Hmm. And so the men once again went to Odaibige for advice. He said to them that a donkey's ear has fur on both sides. So they cut off a donkey's ear and presented it to Arawelo. And then she said to herself, again, strange, who said no uncastrated men live in this land? Yeah, I mean, again, I feel like that's something... So for the rainbow one, that is like, you know, one of those things where it's like, oh, an impossible task. This one, I feel like they could have figured out themselves, you know? Yeah, but they're <laughs> they're castrated. They don't have intelligence anymore. I guess not. I guess not, you know? I, who am I? I'm not an expert on this subject, but yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't think that castration modifies your brain. No, it's, I mean, not really. I mean, not, not in that way. Not in that way, no. But anyway. anyway, so this next chapter is called Arawello and Her Daughter. Mm. Wait, how did she have a daughter? Never mind. Never mind. You're about to find out. Oh. <laughs> oh. When Arawello first came into power, she ordered for her husband to be killed. Oh. But it was only after he died that she realized she was pregnant. Mm. So she gave birth to a daughter who grew into a beautiful and kind-hearted girl who disagreed with her mother's oppression of her people. Mm. However, she couldn't do anything about it because she was very scared of her mother. Arawelo's daughter ended up meeting Odai Bige in the forest. He was 100 years old and the only uncastrated man in the land. He told her tales of how her mother persecuted the men and how he hid himself in the forest. She ended up becoming pregnant with his child. Oh no... I love that the detail he's 100 years old. Like, no offense, but how is he still virile? <laughs> I'm glad that's that's what you're thinking when it comes to the question of him being 100 years old. <laughs> um, anyway. Anyway, well, I guess she didn't have that many options if she wanted to have a child, so. 
It's it's true. It's very true. Anyway, though, <laughs> Aruela was horrified when she learned her daughter was pregnant and demanded to know who she slept with. I mean, that her is proof replied, that there's an uncastrated man in the land. Yeah, exactly. Like, she's now confirmed, right? Yeah. Anyway, so she said to her mom, what about you, mother? Whom did you see before I was born? I feel like it's not that good of a gotcha because I feel like it's not a secret that she was married. That's yeah. Like part of her backstory. But anyway, Arabello told her that if her daughter gives birth to a boy, she will kill the baby. Mm. Once again, I don't really understand her motivations for like killing and castrating all the men because literally the society will die out eventually. Like not even eventually, like soon. Yeah. Like it's not a it's not a realistic idea. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I you might talk about this, but I do feel like she's kind of just like this. Again, this straw man, evil female tyrant at this point. Exactly. You know, she's interesting. Yeah, like she's kind of a caricature of a feminist, powerful woman who's yeah. gonna like kill all the men or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a little ridiculous at times. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Her daughter did give birth to a son. Oh no. And, and Aruelo intended to kill him immediately. Her daughter pleaded, Dear mother, please spare him until he's able to sit on the ground. Then you may take away his life. Hmm. Aruelo grudgingly agreed. When the boy was able to sit up by himself, Aruelo wanted to kill him, but her daughter pleaded, Dear mother, please spare him until he's able to say mama. Mm. Aruelo grudgingly agreed again. When the boy was able to say mama, Aruelo's daughter pleaded again, Dearest mother, give the boy one more chance until he can walk. Aruelo spared his life again, but said that this was the last time. Mm. So the boy grew up and was able to walk. Once again, Aruelo wished to kill him, and her daughter pleaded, Dearest mother, the boy is now able to look after the baby goats and protect them from jackals. He's a useful person to us. Spare his life until he's able to look after all the goats and sheep for us. Mm. After more time passed, her daughter pleaded again that Aruelo should spare him longer so he can look after the camels. After he was old enough to look after all the livestock and camels, her daughter pleaded to spare him until he's able to pick up a spear and shield to protect their family from enemies. Hmm. So by this time, Aruelo's grandson had grown into a young man. Mm-hmm. When he grew even taller and stronger and had become proficient in battle, he left his grandmother's court to go live freely in the forest since he knew his grandmother hated him and wanted him dead. And um, Aruelo realized that her grandson posed a real threat to her rule Mm -hmm. as he was the only uncastrated man living free in her kingdom. Well, what happened to the other guy? Well, he's not living free. He's like, he's in hiding. Oh, okay. I see. And she lamented how foolish she was to let this young man go on living. So this last part is called Aruelo's death. Wow. So Aruelo ordered her eunuchs to go arrest her grandson. Mm-hmm. Her daughter warned him of Aruelo's plan, and she told him that his father is a man called Odaibige, who lives in the forest, and that he should go and find him and ask him for guidance. So he did, and Odaibige came up with a plan. He told his son that although Aruelo is his grandmother, she's also a tyrant whose rule needs to be ended by force mm-hmm. so that a wise man can take her place as leader. Mm-hmm. He should go and construct an arda, which is a shelter made of simple poles and branches and grass filled in on the sides that are built for honored male guests. Mm. He should invite Aruelo there, saying that he wants to settle their differences peacefully, but he should keep his spears and shields ready. He should invite Aruelo to come sit in the arda and choose the right moment to thrust a spear into her heart. If Aruelo utters the words Ba'e, which I will explain that in a moment, Mm -hmm. as the first spear hits her, then he will know that in the end she is a weak woman and will offer no resistance. 
if she utters the words way way then it means she's willing to fight with him as a man in which case he should finish her off with a second spear so the first expression by is an exclamation used by women to express pain or misfortune mm. and then the second one way way is an exclamation used by men when in anguish or in the thick of a fight huh so it's like is she really a woman and if she is then you can just beat her easily you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah but yeah meanwhile Arawella was formulating her own plan she got the invitation from her grandson and agreed to come under the guise of peace but she told her servants to hide in a thicket nearby mm-hmm. and then jump in and seize him and she would finish him off with her bare hands Ooh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool so Arawella arrived with her bodyguards hidden nearby but her grandson saw them when Arawella entered the arda her grandson seized the opportunity and stabbed her with his spear. So what do you think she she cried out as she was stabbed? I think she said nothing. Wrong. Oh. She cried bye as she fell heavily on the ground. Uh. Her grandson didn't even need his second spear because she was already dead. Wow. Yeah, it's the end of her. Wow. And so he said to the women under Arawella's command that there is no enmity between himself and these women. She was a tyrant, and he killed her before she could do the same to him. And the women buried Arawelo and built a monument over her grave. Hmm. And meanwhile, the men felt great relief and elected Arawelo's grandson as their leader. Odaibige came out of hiding and served as his advisor. Hmm. The women of the land were unhappy because now men were in charge again and they had to go back to their subservient roles. The end. Wow, what a story. Nothing, right? nothing changed. exactly everything changed um, and nothing changed one of those stories yeah exactly and i mean it's all kind of like everything that she did was for nothing because then women had to go back to their subservient roles you know Mm -hmm. but i also feel like this story sort of positions her as like caring about her own yeah well-being rather than all the women which i don't think is accurate Mm -hmm. i don't think it's like that in all the different versions of this yeah Um, as we'll sort of see in a bit but yeah it just portrays her as really selfish Mm -hmm. when i mean i feel like it's clear that it was for the well-being of women not just for herself Mm -hmm. but anyway and then one last thing so arawello had a list of rules that she gave women about how they should behave around men and they were punished severely if they broke any of these rules and there's a few examples found in the vast world literature i have six examples whatever you will accept in the end you should refuse first Mm. never grant your favors to men ungrudgingly Mm. be the wrongdoer but always cry so as to get sympathy (laughs) that's kind of funny (laughs) right (laughs) this one i don't really get always eat more but hide it so as to appear temperate in eating i feel like if there's no misogyny why why would you need to do that yeah that's a good question it is weird commit infidelity but always deny it so as to pretend to have a clean conscience. Sure. Commit infidelity with who? <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. <laughs> I don't know. I'm 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 okay with that, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. With other women? Sure, Maybe? yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so unite the strength of men, but always feed them apart. This is a Somali idiom attributed to Arawello, and it means that men do great things when united, but their individual interests can never be reconciled. Mm interesting the end what are your thoughts well so a lot of them are that is like reinforcing gender ideas right 
Like the idea of yeah. like say no first, but you secretly mean yes. Right. Don't eat. Let men know how much you eat, which is just so silly. Like, why would these be rules? And it feels like very modern almost. Like when, I don't know, that doesn't feel like a rule from like 15 CE, you know? Like that doesn't. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Know. I mean, the these versions that were recorded by um, this author and this compilation of Somali folktales was from the 80s, I think. And mm-hmm. it was from Elders, mm-hmm. Somali Elders. Yeah. So pretty recent-ish, mm-hmm. yeah. I guess. I think that, yeah, she's pretty much, res- she's restricting the woman as well, you know, like not just the men. Although the men are yeah. being far more restricted by like not being able to exist without mutilation. Yeah. It's interesting that it's like all about like women's rights, but then we don't hear very much what the women are doing. It's all mm-hmm. about like, oh, the men are being oppressed. The men are blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But what are the women doing? We don't know. Yeah, like how do the women feel about this? Like Exactly. Yeah, it's just kind of a frustrating story because, like, as I said, nothing changes in the end. Yeah. Um, ultimately. And also, it just, again, it feels like a Charmin argument of, like, oh, the woman took over, but, like, they did so really badly and were oppressing the men, so the men had to fight back and restore their rightful So now we can never ruler. let them have power. Yeah. And yeah, this is exactly. why men subjugate women and force them into roles of servitude because, like, at one point this thing happened and, like, that was that was pretty bad for the men. So, like, they don't want this to happen again. Well, exactly. You know, it's sort of like yeah. a justification, which, like, it's not great. Yeah. I mean, it is literally used in a sense of look what happened when women had power once mm-hmm. and now we can never let that happen again because mm-hmm. it will end in disaster. Yeah. Which is unfair. Mm-hmm. So in the Somali village of Relayo, there is a stone mound that is said to be Arowello's tomb. Mm. Um, supposedly, whenever Somali men pass by the tomb, they throw stones on it and curse Arowello's name. Nice. But Somali women place green branches and fresh flowers as a sign of respect for her. Okay. And today the term Arowello can be used to refer to a woman who is assertive or dominant. And meanwhile, Arawello has been reclaimed by Somali feminists. Nice. As you can imagine. I can. So, <laughs> yeah. Arawello Abroad is the name of an online publication for Somali women across the globe. Super cool. Founded in 2014. In 1995, the author Ladan Afi presented the essay Arawello, a role model for Somali women, during the Somali Peace Conference in Paris. In the essay, she talks about the oppression of Somali women and refers to Arawello's own struggle against patriarchal forces. Quote from that, The story of Arawello is one that has been told for generations and is still told to children, both girls and boys today. Although it is primarily used as an example of why women's rule should be vigorously opposed, it provided me with a concrete role model of a Somali woman. Hmm. It illustrates and highlights the positive characteristics of having women in leadership positions. Although Arawello is portrayed as a violent woman who enjoyed castrating men, the reality is that she took over the control of Somalia at a time when it desperately needed order, peace, and prosperity. End quote. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's definitely a different perspective in terms of a Somali woman hearing that story and saying, yeah, yeah women and leadership roles. You yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah. And there's also another article in 2015, article on the blog Queen Zone, which is run by a Somali female blogger, awesome. titled The Tale of Queen Arawello, the Original Feminist. And in this article, the author mentions the a version of the story where Arawello was motivated to castrate the men, partially because she herself had been raped. Mm-hmm. And that her decision to castrate the men was violent, but often violence is necessary during revolutions. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And a quote from that, 
Aruela was used as an example in my country for why women should not be involved in politics and leadership, which is saddening. If she was alive today, Queen Aruela would encourage women to strive for success and be the best version of themselves. She would teach women to follow their dreams despite what others or society says. Yeah, I mean, I was sort of like thinking about as you were talking and like the castration is definitely a sort of fantasy, not sort of like a power fantasy, revenge fantasy sort of idea. Yeah. Experience sexual assault. And so it makes sense mm-hmm. that that's a story associated with her. And that could be also be something that's empowering for women who have experienced sexual assault as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To think about a world where they can't experience sexual assault anymore yeah. like it's impossible mm-hmm. yeah and the men experience a, some level of violence that they f- have experienced yeah and like how it would be so horrible to experience what women experience like every mm-hmm. single day yeah and it's just the worst thing you could ever imagine mm-hmm. yeah i mean which it kind of is it's horrible mm-hmm. yeah and i think it's interesting that if you don't mention the sexual assault component it seems like aruela was or like you could view it as though she was kind of power hungry Mm-hmm. Like, she wanted her gender to be, like, the oppressors. But that's not, like, realistic. I feel like mm-hmm. it's not... I mean, you have to imagine some level of, like, compassion for people who are going through threats of violence every day and mm-hmm. just yeah. are just subjugated and oppressed and mm-hmm. their life is miserable and they're not valued and how, like, they do something about it. Mm-hmm. And then that's so horrible of them to do that. And it's also interesting that Aruelo's grandson becomes leader at the end and then suddenly men are the oppressors again and women are the oppressed. Mm-hmm. But it's like, why can't there be a version of reality where yeah. one gender isn't oppressing the other? Yeah. Like, why is that impossible? Why can't the men, like, learn from their experience and not oppress women anymore? Yeah, right? They didn't learn anything from this. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like, the sort of justification is that they're worried if they give women any power, then the same thing will happen again. Yeah, and this is just proof that we can't give women any rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, I mean, sort of thinking about like the castration thing, like you said, it was sort of as a way to make sure that her power was not challenged, which like, yeah, it's not a good thing. I don't think it's a good thing. I don't think it's something no, I think it should do. However, it's something that a lot of rulers in history have done is take these extreme measures in order to stay in power. And so like, yeah. Just because she's yeah, like, a woman male rulers acting have done like that to other men, every other ruler in history, like, you know. Yeah, but she's a woman. But she's a woman. And, and it's, it's specifically a gendered experience because the way the story yeah. is, is like told or written is it sets up this gendered fight, basically. Yeah, and forced castration is incredibly violent and cruel, but it's not like... I mean, it ha- it happened a lot throughout history. They're still technically alive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's... <laughs> I mean, yeah, I do still I mean... think it's bad. I will say I'm against this practice. No, I... Th- I, yeah, exactly. I agree. It's it's very bad. It's very violent and cruel mm-hmm. and also not good for the well-being of their society in mm-hmm. general because they can't re- procreate or anything. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I imagine that the women would also suffer from this. Like if they're married to men and they're not yeah. interested in like sex with other women, then they just can't have sex anymore. Yeah, which is a problem too. I mean, if that's something that people want, not necessarily everyone would want that, mm-hmm. but just the idea that it can only benefit women. I mean, it's kind of an interesting idea, isn't it? That men being castrated can benefit women because then they have more power now. I mean, I feel like in its way, it's kind of a sexist thing, right? Because it's... I mean, yeah. It's... You take away, like, 
a symbol of male power um, traditionally, and suddenly they have no power. When it's like, well, if even if you're castrated, you can still hold a spear, you can still fight, you know, like yeah, exactly. You still have your brain about you. You can still yeah. like fight in battle. And so it's just just this very gendered, sexist sort of punishment that is being inflicted upon these men, specifically to like not literally emasculate them because that's a different thing, but to you know sort of emotionally emasculate them so they feel like they have no power. They're like essentially women now. Yeah, and being a woman is bad. And yeah, and being a woman is bad, which is not great. It's not a great take. It's such a fascinating story. I feel like I think it's a really interesting story. And yeah, like just for like the fifth time, I don't support forced castration. I think it's really horrible that being said i think that what our willow did was pretty incredible like the way she, she organized the women of her community into taking action against their subjugation it showed that women are powerful and intelligent and valuable that's true and that's really great I, like i love the idea of the whole community of women coming together and doing something about the way that they're treated. That's so nice. I mean, that's good. I am wondering if her story reminded you of any other figure at all, of any... I have a few. Folklore. Oh, a few. Uh, tell me. Um, it reminded me of Lysistrata. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's actually, that's who I was okay, thinking good, of too. Okay, good, good, yes. Um, Lysistrata, who is from the play by Aristophanes, and I read yeah. it last semester. Um, and it's about women who organize a sex strike in order to stop the Peloponnesian War because they're tired exactly. of the war from happening. And it's really, an, it's a very interesting play in some ways because it's like the women are kind of, Aristophanes was a conservative man. He was very sexist as like most men in Athenian society were at the time. And he was kind of like joking about the ridiculousness of women coming together and like, creating a government or sort of like a decision together like unifying to create this strike mm -hmm. but as this play is like thousand years old thousands of years old it's become sort of a feminist play because it's about women sort of reclaiming their sexuality and women talking about how much they want to have sex that's like a big part of the comedy of the play is that the woman too like, <laughs> can't keep up with this strike because they are like oh i really want to have sex with my husband um and the as well as the husbands being like, this women is can also enjoy sex. Yeah, like, oh, that's crazy. Um, and so, it, and it's also become like, uh, in general, this big anti-war play, like that has been big throughout like the past century, especially. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because, like, when you read it, it's sort of like, I mean, when I read it, I was like, oh, this is really sexist. Like, he's making fun of the woman. I don't find this empowering. But I think it's also interesting that a lot of women have read this play and found it empowering. And because just because of the original context it was written and the original idea that Aristophanes had when he was writing it, that was so long ago. And the way that it's been adapted and changed now also has like meaning too. Exactly. I think it's so interesting that like a really, really sexist man can write something ridiculous about a powerful woman because powerful women are fearful and gross. And then women can like read it and be like, oh, wait, she's so cool. And they can work it into their own lives, into their own, like, art or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, like, how it goes against the original message, yeah. <laughs> which is really fun. Yeah. Like, look at this, like, weird deviant woman who did this bizarre stuff. Mm -hmm. And look how wrong she is and how stupid she is. But then women can look at it and be like, she's so cool. Mm -hmm. And even, like, model their own lives after her like mm -hmm. i mean there's been like a million adaptations of i don't know is her name pronounced lisa strata that's how i say it in my head but then we can that's how I... it's lysistrata well i've always heard it pronounced lisa strata that could be wrong sorry 
Well, I like it better that way. Apologies like that to um, classes everywhere people. and Greek people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's been a million adaptations. There's, and there's also been real sex strikes. I feel like they're not necessarily all of them are based off of Lysistrata. Like, they have a little too much credit to the play when that's not that original of an idea. But, like, there have been real sex strikes mm-hmm. in the world. For example, in 2009 in Kenya, there were thousands of women who went on a sex strike with the end goal to get the country's leaders to reconcile. They did it for seven days and it worked. Wow. After seven days, which is amazing. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And like, I have no idea. Right? There are a few more examples of that. You can see it on Wikipedia. And I mean, Arwell's story is a little bit different from that. She didn't do a sex strike. She did like a housework strike, which is also interesting because it's like a nonviolent labor strike mm-hmm. that has like big results because men are like, I don't want to do the housework. Mm-hmm. You know, housework is so horrible that women have to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just also interesting because it acknowledges like the immense amount of labor that goes into housework, which is a lot of labor running a household is an incredible amount of work and Mm -hmm. traditionally the woman does it and the man man doesn't and it's also a very traditionally like devalued form of labor people are like oh the woman just sits at home all day it's like no the woman's doing things she's cleaning she's cooking she's making food for you i mean it's insane that one person should be in charge of all the housework yeah and especially like once women enter the workforce but they're still expected to have their real job where they get paid and then do the housework when they get home Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where they're not paid for it and like it's a whole a lot of like feminists like marxist feminists um who think a lot about women's labor specifically will like talk about it and it's very a very interesting concept but this is interesting because it like you know it acknowledges like this is a massive amount of labor that women are doing that they're not really like getting credit for until they stop Mm -hmm. doing it and then suddenly the men are like what do i do yeah i do think it's interesting the idea that like if women stopped doing the housework men would have to do it because i feel like in a lot of cases i feel like if that were to happen men would just not do anything in the place would become a sty and nobody would eat mm-hmm. you know yeah they would just be like whatever i'm not doing anything mm-hmm. maybe that's a little mean of me i don't know but i feel like that's an option like they wouldn't necessarily be like oh i have to go sweep now that my wife won't yeah you know mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway it's a story yeah like i was saying i think it's incredible how she rallied the women in her community into action she sh- said to them like we don't have to do whatever they want us to do we also have value and like we can do this relatively simple thing and it worked. And the legends of her reign paint her as tyrannical and cruel. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's telling that the women of Somalia mourned her reign after it was over because mm-hmm. they were back to being forced to be subservient. And how Somali women today still look up to Aruelo and refer to her as a powerful feminist mm-hmm. figure um, and a role model. And I think that in spite of her cruelty, her legend is incredibly important back then and also now because it shows women that it's possible for them to take control and get revenge on people who hurt them. And it also shows that women are valuable for more than just their domestic skills, that they can also be intelligent and strong. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that like the only man in the whole land who could rival her intelligence is the one man who's uncastrated. Mm-hmm. And yeah, how that kind of goes to show that for men, all of their power is associated with their virility, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not just about like having sex and having children, it's also about intelligence and <laughs> strength. Which gives a lot of credit, I think, to one one aspect of your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it's such a fascinating story. I mean, I know that it's used in a misogynistic way, 
but it's also this sort of like feminist reclamation thing going on which is awesome Uh, yeah it's a fascinating story and i think the feminist reclamation is great i think it makes a lot of sense yeah well thank you so much for listening to this episode if you enjoyed it please donate to our ko-fi subscribe leave a review tell all your friends and we'll be back here in two weeks with another wonderful episode thank you thank you bye The Ladies Podcast is produced by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. Today's episode was researched and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythoLadies and visit us on our website at MythoLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thank you for listening. See you next time.